0: This week on the It's a Monkey podcast.
1: So it's all pristine quality, even though it's secondhand. On top of that, the most important thing is screening for authenticity. Because especially in designer fashion, what happens is these brands are very highly coveted. After so, people are making fakes um, and replicas and selling them on all the other marketplaces and no one is checking for it. So we actually check for you so that when you shop on Resale Closet, you can always be guaranteed that you get a piece that is authentic.
0: Good morning, good evening, hello wherever you are in the world. It is Monday the 26th of March, wow, we're nearly in April already. My name is Kevin Garber, I am the co-host of the It's a Monkey podcast um, with Kate Frappel. I am the CEO of Manage Fledo. Kate is the design lead of Manage Fledo. although Kate, we were going to come up with a different title for you, right, at some stage. We
2: were, I haven't got
0: one yet though. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're listening to episode 116 of the it's a monkey podcast and we have a great show coming up for you today as always go to it's a monkey.com to listen to previous episodes we have 115 of them for you to listen to wow so um yeah that's uh probably about god i don't know 130 hours worth or something that is that is a lot We have a great show coming up. We will be chatting to Vanessa Lim, who's the founder of Restyle Closet. I chatted to her in person a couple of weeks ago, and uh, she's creating an interesting business, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. But as as always, we kick off the podcast with some tech news and to help keep you abreast of what's going on in our crazy, fast-moving industry. Now, this is an interesting story. Uber self-driving car has killed a pedestrian. Now, obviously, it's tragic. You know, road deaths are a big, big issue around the world. And one of the promises of autonomous vehicles was it's going to decrease issues and uh, improve safety. And unfortunately, there was a, a fatality with a, with a Uber vehicle last week. And I actually watched that. Uber actually released a video, Kate. Did you actually watch the video of uh, the accident?
2: No, I haven't seen the video. I've just heard that she was walking... Uh, or jaywalking outside of a pedestrian crossing
0: yeah it's sort of she literally just appears in front of the car like i think you know and what i read was that you know the self-driving car actually reacted one second quicker or at least one second quicker than a human vehicle would have reacted unfortunately it was just one of these scenarios where where nothing would have would have saved her as as far as i understand self-driving vehicles autonomous vehicles also have a bit of an issue at night where their visibility is not as good as well as night as, as well as humans, right? Their, their, their detectors don't work as well as night because it's dark for them as well, right?
2: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. But at the same time, I guess like the whole point or the publicity around self-driving cars is that they are a lot safer and that they can see these things and they have detectors and stuff. So it's still a little bit of a shock
0: i think I, and i think what's interesting though and, and and we always have to be aware of this when considering media stories i mean how many pedestrians even just in sydney are injured and and unfortunately sometimes killed and it doesn't make the press right that's true so this has happened to make the press because it happens to be an autonomous vehicle but there are many instances um, of fatalities, of bad accidents. I mean, I, in my area in Sydney, often roads are gummed up, and people asking on Facebook what happened, what happened, and it was a it was a road accident. Or one of our our dear team members, Jimmy, last year had a pretty bad road accident, and thankfully a year later he's okay. But um, it was touch and go there for a while, um, yeah. And that never made the press at all. So no. Yeah, we do it's have, true.
2: I think too, because it's the first incident of a self-driving car.
0: The, I think there. I think there have been, there have been a couple. I don't know if fatalities though, but yes, it's definitely well,
2: probably injuries. But it says, well, in the article you sent through, it's the right. first reported pedestrian fatality.
0: Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, look, it is significant, and hopefully, and this is the advantage with technology. Hopefully, they can take what happened and learn from it. Right. And improve yes. it the whole time. And that's the good thing about technology. Humans, well, can we do become better drivers. But, I mean, how much of a better driver am I since the last sort of 20 years? I've been driving probably a little bit, but not as much as a machine could become in 20 years based on improving all these algorithms. And I'm sure they will take that and factor that in and and um yeah it's uh i mean a, a human definitely wouldn't have, when you see the video a, a human driver definitely would have wouldn't have seen that and you see when you're driving at night it's you literally do see people just appear out of nowhere in sydney at night especially on friday saturday night where people are, are letting loose a little bit sometimes they just literally appear in front of you you know so a human driver there's absolutely no way would have had any chance so very tragic but hopefully that will feedback into the algorithms and the technologies and help make it even safer
2: yeah definitely i think they need to sort of just learn from it and eventually like i said it's a big deal now but in time um it'll be treated the same way as as if a human like a manual driver hit someone you know like it's it's not good but it happens
0: yeah i mean i'm hoping over once they have a lot more data points a new story will be that fatalities have dropped, you know, X percent, fifty percent, or something significant, and and hopefully then we can see it in the bigger context. I hope this is not going to just cause fear and a backlash, etc., because there there is something psychologically very challenging um, about a car that seems to be doing its own thing and we have no control over it's 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 our bias it's our human bias as a sense of control even though people get so much more nervous on airplanes than they do in cars and yet statistically it's just cars are just significantly more dangerous but our minds actually somehow cannot cannot deal with that because uh the the planes the plane crashes are dramatic they all get reported and so our minds sort of have a have a bias towards that so yeah perception is reality right
2: definitely and i think personally i think it's going to be in the interim that we're going to have issues with it so while there's some manual drivers and some automatic or autonomous cars in that period there's going to be some accidents and there's going to be like a lot of stress and controversy but Eventually, if everyone goes to self-driving cars, then like the rate of fatalities is going to be quite low.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, interesting, interesting technologies to follow. Um, moving on from a little bit of our theme that we've had over the last couple of podcasts to talk about the medical side of things and how technology is improving our life through medical advancements. Stem cell therapy reverses sight loss. This is fantastic. I mean, the stem cell therapy is already available for things like um, knee cartilage, which I believe it's still quite expensive. But um, tell us a little bit about um, the stem cells helping out with sight loss, actually reversing sight loss.
2: Yeah, so they've actually done like a test on a man in his 80s and a, a woman in her 60s. And they have age-related macular degeneration, so a condition that leads to a rapid loss of central vision. So it's quite common. And yeah, they went from basically not being able to read at all to being able to read 60 to 80 words a minute with normal reading glasses uh, due to this stem cell therapy. Yeah, so it's, it's the tissue grown from human embryonic stem cells.
0: Incredible. I mean, this is when I hear stories like this, this is really what technology is about. You know, social media is one aspect, and and, uh, how that contributes to society is a little bit more um, slippery, I guess. But when it comes to something like stem cell therapy improving the sight of people, I mean, wow, right? Like, incredible. Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah, I mean, 600,000 people in the UK suffer from this particular loss of vision. So if you, can, if you can find a way to help others, people see. And even then, you know, an 80- and 60-year-old, you know, like they've, they've still got a lot of time like that having vision is going to help them dramatically for the rest of their lives.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've spoken about this before um, on the podcast where um, I met someone a few months ago that um, was one of the first in Australia to have a, a cochlear implant. And um, her speech was almost perfect. I would say it was 95% perfect. And you would almost think she's got a little bit of an accent because obviously her hearing is not perfect, but um, has been life-changing for her. Her life's normal, normal school, normal friends. You know, she hasn't had to, you know, in in a generation previously to that, um, her hearing would have been almost non-existent and her life would have been very, very different. So, um, technology can just be a seismic shift in someone's life around these issues.
2: Yeah. Definitely going to make a, a really big difference to a lot of people. I think that's where technology can be of real value to people as well is sort of reversing some of these conditions or slowing them down. And, of course, without any major side effects.
0: Yeah, that's that's the big one. That's the big one. Um, I, I read about also some gene therapy that's helping with some congenital eye diseases as well. And that was fascinating. That's still very cutting edge and they're still doing a lot of research. But it's fascinating. They actually deliver some therapy into the genes using a virus as the transport mechanism which is just it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's, I, I'm not a medical person. I don't understand intricacies. Maybe we should get someone someday to, uh, to, to talk us through that. But, um, and, it's, and the experiments have actually helped some kids that, that were going blind, and it actually edited their genes. And, of course, when people hear gene editing, they immediately think of creating babies with blue eyes and blonde hair and, and creating a super race. But, but actually, gene therapy can help with a lot of medical conditions, especially um, sort of congenital ones that are, you you know, genetic. And we edited, they edited out the gene, which is, is, which is incredible. Um, Anyway, those are the news stories for today. As always, you can email us at podcasteditormonkey.com if you want to, you know, if you have guest suggestions, if you want to give us some feedback, even just tell us who you are, what you do. We we can see all of you listening, so thank you very much. Special thank you to you if you are listening to us for the first time. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll play the interview that I did with Vanessa Lim, who is the founder of um, Restyle Closet, so stick with us.
3: Hi, my name is Joe Pinto, I'm the Business Operations Manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Twitter can be a powerful social selling platform? But the first step to effective social selling on Twitter is to grow your Twitter account with high-quality niche followers. For example, let's say you are an online bicycle retailer. Manage Flitter could help you grow your Twitter account by helping you find and follow people who have the word cyclist in their bio. The more targeted your search is, the higher likelihood these Twitter accounts will follow you back. We have millions of users, literally, that have used ManageFlitter's search, sort and filtering tools to grow their account with the right followers. This has provided them with a solid base to kickstart their social selling. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough.
0: You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast, and my name is Kevin Garber. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. As uh, you know, if you're a regular listener, we talk about things related to the tech startup world. And one of the things that we like to do very regularly is we like to talk to founders at the beginning part of their journey. Um, That's definitely the toughest part. It's the most interesting part. And... um, you know everyone's everyone's story is different, and uh, and and that's uh, you know founders founders tend to be always a little bit a little bit crazy. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. And uh, I was at a pitch event the other night in Sydney, and there was someone that that gave a pitch for a, an interesting an interesting business, which we'll talk about soon. And I managed to twist her arm and convince her to join us. on the the It's a Monkey podcast. So I'm happy to say in the studio, which is always a treat because most of our interviews are done via Skype. So in the studio, I've got Vanessa Lim who is the founder of Restyle Closet, which we're going to talk about soon. But firstly, just welcome and thank you to Vanessa for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's such a pleasure to be here on this podcast with all the other founders I've interviewed before as well. So I'm really happy to share my story about Restyle Closet. Thank you so much.
0: So Restyle Closet, I mean, I'm I'm not a fashion guy, but Restyle Closet I found I found interesting from a couple of perspectives. Well, firstly, before before we talk about that, just Tell us give us the give us the the one two minute elevator pitch of Restyle Closet.
1: So Resale Closet is essentially a secondhand marketplace that's a little bit different. We don't just allow you to buy and sell. We actually make sure that your sale goes through really well, hassle-free. You wouldn't have to lift a finger because we literally do everything for you from the photography, the listing, the pricing, the logistics, the, the payments as well. So we make it super easy. Our goal is basically to get all those forgotten items from the back of your closet into the hands of someone who will love them a lot better.
0: Okay, so that's it's a, a marketplace for clothes, right? You you left that out right there at the front bit.
1: Well, we don't just do clothes. We do clothes, shoes, bags, jewelry, anything that's branded, anything that's a designer and you know that you know it's so expensive, you wish you could actually get it for a cheaper price and we let you do that because we sell second hand and that knocks off the price by about 80, almost up to 80% sometimes.
0: So it's not yeah, but it's it's all fashion related. You don't do you don't do bicycles or computers no, no, or no. TVs. <laughs> (laughs)
1: I think that um, what we really want to do is create a platform that specializes specifically in designer fashion because we want the customer who comes to our site to know exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for quality, beautiful fashion, something they can style their wardrobe with. I mean, otherwise, if they're looking for a bicycle, they might as well go to eBay or Gumtree. So that's where we're quite different. Uh, We actually uh, focus on a lot of style, branding. Um, We try to make it, um, you know, when you go into a resale closet, it's not just a very shabby marketplace. It's kind of like, it makes you feel like you're shopping a Net A Porter, but it's actually secondhand clothing. So we're really trying to improve the, the branding for secondhand um, products because it's actually um, very, very um, much the same quality. It's just that uh, it's been worn once or twice before. But you can actually purchase it and wear it just the same way as you would do a brand new product.
0: I think most men, and I'm generalizing here, but maybe just I should just speak for myself, but we don't realize, Oh, I don't realize what a... With a massive industry branded products are for women, and and the and the price tag attached to them, so the benefits of actually buying a second hand version is you're saving. You know, I mean, I don't know, a pair of shoes can be $1,000 sometimes, yes, right? Yes,
1: that's crazy. Is um, we actually look even at Australian designers and what really struck me about the Australian market, is that there's so much emphasis on quality uh, and style. Um, like for example, some of the brands that you see here, like and Byte, Zimmerman, Alice McCall, they have really beautiful pieces, but um, the dresses can go up from about $300 to about $3,000. Recently, um, Margot Robbie was spotted in a Zimmerman dress that was $3,000. And you know, it's been getting a lot of flack but this, the amount of um, effort that's put into constructing each individual piece has so much, and that really warrants the price as well. So that's for Australian designers. That's for clothing alone. For shoes, it's, you could go about a thousand dollars. For bags, it can go all the way. For an Hermes bag, from about ten thousand dollars to one hundred fifty grand. Can you imagine oh that?
0: <laughs> one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a bag. Exactly.
1: Some some houses don't even cost that much. <laughs> it's that insane. I- that-
0: yeah, I'm not sure what you think of that. I'm not sure if that's a remarkable sort of you know achievement of a company that can actually, create a brand that you can charge $150,000 for? I mean, that's quite something. They, they're obviously very good at product and marketing and branding. What what brand would be able to charge $150,000 so for th- a bag?
1: I think a lot of people have noticed brands for sure, Hermes. Um, everyone has heard mm-hmm. of it, seen it uh, in, in magazines and in movies, uh, kind of desired it, but it's kind of out of the price point of a lot of people. Now, Hermes is one of those brands where even when you buy it secondhand, it might not be cheaper. Uh, in fact, some of the times it increases in price because of you know, um, the individuality of each piece, um, only the elite wear um, Hermes, and on top of that, they go the extra mile to customize your bags, put in the finest materials. They, they use special um, leathers like snake skins, dyed in a certain way. So it's actually very, very distinctive when you're holding an Hermes bag versus, say, um, other high-end brands, which are very nice, but it really doesn't stack up to Hermes, and that's why they're able to command that price point.
0: Wow, that that is really remarkable. So... So just to take a step back, someone uh, someone has some of these designer pieces. They want to sell it secondhand. It's very tricky because Gumtree and eBay are not optimized for, for high-end fashion brands. It's a bit of a sort of free-for-all there. So your platform is optimized in the sense that they they send it to you. You guys um, authenticate it. You take photos. You sell it. And you, you actually hold, hold it so you actually – keep keep their stock, right? They've Mm-mm. sent it to you, you, you hold on to it and then um, someone buys it on your platform and you send it direct and you share um, some of the... the, the the sort of sale price with the person that supplied it to you. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly right. So what we aim to do at Resale Closet is make it super, super easy for people who have these designer items that, you know, they're not necessarily using, um, putting too much use at all, um, getting them out there. And now the problem with this is that, you know, there are platforms um, that are available but they're really hard to use. So we actually put a lot of emphasis on making it really easy for the customer. So our, our best service is Resale Valley. So it's like a full-on concept service, which does everything for you. So yes, we do go through the entire process, as you said, from pricing it, taking it in. Um, the customer actually just click a button, um, list all the items they want to send to us, and then we'll pick it up right from their house. So they literally don't even have to leave their home. And then we'll go through everything, uh, make sure everything's in good condition. So As I was saying earlier, price it, um, list it, photograph it so it looks perfect. Um, and then when a customer buys it, we, we take care of the logistics and then payments just go straight into your bank account. So that's Vistar Valley, but then for customers who want to also kind of have a bit more control over the pricing and are comfortable kind of keeping the items and their place um, until a sale, a sale goes through, um, they can also list on our platform but what happens is it's not just them listing, we actually screen every single item that comes into our marketplace to make sure um, it's it's in good enough condition, you, we don't take in certain items with tears and stains and whatnot, so it's all pristine quality, even though it's second hand. On top of that, the most important thing is screening for authenticity because especially in designer fashion, what happens is these brands are very highly coveted. After, so people are making fakes um, and replicas and selling them on all the other marketplaces, and no one is checking for it. So we actually check for you so that when you shop on Resale Closet, you can always be guaranteed that you get a piece that is authentic. And on top of that, we also operate on an escrow system, which means if anything goes wrong uh, at all, we are able to perform refunds. And just in a matter of days, instead of having to go through the usual very, very long process that you would have to if you were doing it yourself. So, yeah, it's how actually you, so easy. How do you
0: determine authenticity?
1: so what we do is um, we're actually quite well versed fashion but I myself I've, I've bought fashion brands um, for a good uh, couple of years since I started working I have a lot of friends who are into that as well I've grown into really loving and understanding what to look for when you when you shop uh, when you shop designer fashion so you know it's very specific they really take a lot of quality in their branding so when you look at things like the logo it's it's very very precise and when um, when a, a counterfeiter tries to mimic that there's always something wrong. So it could be the stitching, the number of stitches on like a panel. It could be the location of the the brand stamping, the the date code. There's so many things to look at. Um, so what we do is we're actually able to go through the product, just knowing where to look and checking for whether it actually matches up with an authentic item. Other than that, uh, for really really difficult items, we do work with authenticity partners as well. So we always get a second opinion where we're unsure. But what's really good is that you know you can always to be sure that it's authentic because that's really important. You don't want to be paying full price or a very high price for something that's not authentic and, and you only find out a few years later. So I find that this is actually one of the most pertinent problems within secondhand fashion. That's how we try to actually rid this from our platform.
0: So who's your market at the moment? I mean, I, when I say at the moment, I mean uh, you know currently you've it's pretty early days for you guys. Yeah. Um, who's been buying and selling? Is it younger women? Is it women in the suburbs that are, are clearing out closets? What's the demographic profile of your buyers and your sellers?
1: It's interesting because you think that a secondhand platform would draw customers that would probably just look a lot at value but um, not necessarily um, be educated or or work really good jobs but Actually, um, we've realized that the profile of our customer is actually usually a high-flying individual who has um, perhaps no time to sell their items. They've just accumulated over um, their their many years of working hard, uh, a lot of great items. And, you know, when they find our solution, that, you know, all they have to do is call us and we'll do everything for them, they they find a really great way to clear out their closet. Um, Other people would be busy moms who who want to kind of um, earn back some value on the items in the back of their closet and, you know, put that to something else more useful, such as... um, buying nappies or, um, you know, uh, <laughs> maybe buying stuff for the family, you can get investing a n- a in something of, else, you know.
0: You can get a lot of nappies for $150,000. You bag, definitely
1: right? could. You definitely could. And, um, you know, people nowadays are really understanding that, you know, value is very important. Uh, things are getting more uh, expensive with inflation and whatnot. So when you're able to, to save that extra few, 20%, 30% off, buying the exact same piece at resale closet than retail, you know, it, it really makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. So I'd say um, even though younger people, uh, younger uh, people from uh, 25 onwards uh, would be shopping on our site, um, looking at all the great brands there that it could really make a big deal, uh, save a big deal on.
0: So it's pretty early days. When did, when did you guys uh, kick off? Your website, Restyle Closet, when did you launch?
1: Yeah, we're still a baby in the space, um, but we've been running for about a year plus. Uh Um, So we just tried to launch as quickly as we could because we really wanted to provide the service um, as fast as possible. Um, While we see that the secondhand market is still kind of new, but definitely growing, um, a lot of people are, are realizing that uh, they're wasting so much, and and pieces that are actually very uh, still in very good shape are going to the landfills, um, or just being wasted. You know, th- this is really interesting a statistic I I found. It's that um, a lot about um, only about ninety five percent of all the items that go to donation centers. They get sold again. The rest of them Sorry, uh, what go percentage of that? about. I would say five percent gets resold, uh-huh. and then the rest of it just becomes um, dead stock, or it might even go into the landfill. So that, actually, the donation centers are finding it very, very hard to to deal with the amount of volume going there. So we're trying to create a different way for people to recycle clothes. You know, take that weight off the donation centers as well, and you know, give people a chance to even earn back on it. Sometimes, especially when it's a very valuable item.
0: Yeah, no I would imagine. I mean, I once a friend once admitted to me that uh, when she was in her early 20s, she went to New York and she spent all her life savings at the time, $10,000 on clothes.
1: No, yeah, in one trip. <laughs> That's in one insane. Trip. And that was
0: probably and I we were friends probably nearly 10 years from that trip and I said, "Do you still have any of those items?" and she said, "No, it's probably, you know, Whatever it's uh, it's I don't use them anymore. They they it's just gave them away, etc. So you know th- there's some big money that's being spent in this in this industry. Now you, you don't come from a directly from a fashion background, right? You actually worked uh, in what, what would you call it the financial industry, right? You you were a risk manager at, at the massive mining company Glencore.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I mean, my my start into fashion was deeply personal. I mean, I've really, really liked fashion brands because it kind of um, reflects who I am as an individual. When I when I buy my my bags, I've have, I, have, I look for a certain style that shows sophistication yet it's practical and also very hardy. So I, I used to have this LV Neverfull bag, which um, I would literally just dump all my stuff in there, and it served me so many years. And it also kind of complements um, my style at the workplace. And whatnot, but then my background is actually uh, in fact, sorry, in finance. So I started off um, in equity research, very very different from fashion. Um, and then I worked my way into uh, Barclays, and then finally as a risk manager in Glencore. So mostly very financial driven um, positions. But then at the side, I was actually um, taking the the earnings from my work and funding it into my next uh, designer purchase, which I found very interesting because a lot of people are doing the same. And And, you know, when you look into the market, how big it is, um, in Australia alone, I think about $28 billion is spent on fashion alone. Um, It's insane how much we spend on on stuff we wear. Because, you know, we we wear it every day. It's kind of a reflection of who we are.
0: I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just astounded by that amount. And I'm always astounded by, um, because I, I don't buy a lot of things. And I've often said on this podcast, I would love a subscription service of fashion for myself that... I just get clothes once a month that are my size because I just I I hate going into malls. I but that but that's that's another that's another business perhaps. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm definitely not the target market, but I definitely d- do have friends that are. That that very much spend uh, a, a lot of money um, on this, you know, these high end fashion. Um, I think I think for a lot of us, it's it's quite amazing that people can spend five thousand dollars on a bag or a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes. But um, you know, I think I think fashion has always been a part of a our modern culture and modern society, and it's a, it's just a reflection of of workmanship, of individuality. I mean, I think both with the Grammy Awards and maybe to a lesser degree, the Oscars. I mean, the fashion is probably a significant part of uh, of the commentary that happens, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you've actually looked onto Twitter um, over the past few days, you just see hashtags, Oscar everywhere. Everyone's always decked in amazing gowns um, from the same designers that we have on Restyle Closet. Um, Well, I guess, you know, these people have worked so hard in their industries, they've earned a really good mark for themselves and, you know, the next thing is um, to kind of um, put it into something that really uh, reflects who you are. Um, It could be the stuff you wear, especially the stuff you wear because, um, you know, especially as a, a celebrity, you're being photographed in it. So, fashion for them is super important. But even and for the normal working lady who you know just wants to feel herself when she walks into the office you know we put a good hour a number of hours into our work lives every day but you know being able to you know have the the stuff that you want you know have the wallet that you want have the bag or the clothes that you want just makes you feel better when you step up the house and conquer the day oh.
0: So you guys are bootstrapped up until now, right? You you haven't taken it. You sort of obviously self-funded. Uh, yes. Up
1: until now? So I never knew uh, how I was going to go with that. Um, uh-huh. But then I, uh, I when I started resale closet and I saw how I was doing, I decided to put my own money in as well. Um, I managed to convince um, some of my friends and family as well to put in some money um, to kind of kickstart everything, get our platform running, put all these amazing features so that we can handle the volume of orders coming in through Restar Valley, and we're we're happy with that. Um, that's it's amazing what you can do bootstrapped as well um, as long as you you know um, have a great team and, and do everything efficiently and the, the great thing about recyclers is it's done in a way where you can actually do everything online and that saves us a lot of costs and that's why we're able to run this thing so well
0: but you guys are a two-sided marketplace right so similar to Airbnb similar to Uber where you've got to get both sides and you've got to get critical mass on both sides of the marketplace. How did you get that initial traction? That's always a big question with two-sided marketplaces, right? Say with Airbnb, it's a chicken and egg situation. You don't have any buyers before you've got any sellers and you don't have any sellers if you don't got any buyers to take them, um, you you know, to to, to sort of uh, take what's up for offer. So how did you guys actually get the very, very first few sales and the first bit of product? Did you have to hack it?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, when people say that a marketplace is difficult, I mean, I just shrugged it off initially. Well, it's, it's a whole different game when you start. And, you know, it is a bit of a challenge to kind of manage both sides in the marketplace. So what we had to do is have a little bit of a range going so that when a customer comes to a site, they have something to look at. So what we did is we had to actually um, put up some capital into getting a few designer items. Now, because we were just starting out, we had to just, you know, put up a few designer, like just dresses. It, it had to be of a very a much lower price point, so we started off quite small in the, in the offering that we had. But as we grew uh, and we got more people um, knowing about what we offer, at restart valet, the convenience it offers, then we started getting other customer items, um, stuff that really improved our profile. And then bags started coming in, shoes that are coming. In. We've gone, we've even got jewelry. And then our brand range um, increased to LV, Prada, Gucci. Um, we've got some Chanel. We've got. Uh, um, your, your Australian brands as well as Zimmerman Assassin Bite. we even have a hoopla watch on our site that yeah, sold just them. last okay. year it's amazing <laughs> so it's the it's thing it's a beautiful
0: is watch but I, I don't think I'm going to spend 10 grand on it and that's the second hand <laughs> price
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> So it, it
0: looks like a beautiful watch
1: yes it's really gorgeous Um, I had the, the honor of actually you know authenticating it taking some great photos of it um, it's a $15,000 watch and um, we've sold it for a really good price as well so I'm, I'm sure the owner is pretty happy with that Um, so the good thing about so was this yeah. just
0: a random person that, or was it a contact of yours? I mean, who, how did someone land up trying to sell a Hublot watch through you guys?
1: Wow. So most people actually find us through search. Like let's say they're searching, um, "How do I clean up my closet?" Um, that's usually how people find us, and then from um, word of mouth. But this particular customer was a referral. So right. he okay. he owned uh, three watches, and he kind of wanted to to offload them because he was buying new watches, and and these were just sitting around. He found a new favorite. He didn't like. He didn't use these anymore. And you know these are really popular watches as well. And he knew that he could get some really good value off it. So he listed them with us uh, under Resale Valley, and we've sold i think two of his watches um one All is right. the Hublot. one is the uh, the other one's the rolex um, that he's got and uh, i think he's still got a brigade that's up for sale if anyone's interested <laughs> so
0: this this one's been sold one yes, That one looking yes it has been so sold it's, so it's it's sold for seven seven thousand eight hundred and eighty
1: yes that's right that's right
0: and it's 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 a uh, new price is seventeen thousand dollars is that correct
1: Exactly. So, the thing about watches as well, um, what happens is they go through seasons where you've got a certain model that's being sold. The good thing about secondhand is that, let's say you really like this particular design, um, but it's no longer being sold in the retail stores, you can actually get it from retail Closet as well.
0: Looking at a Rolex as well.
1: That's <laughs> yes. sold as well, right? Yes, exactly. Never that's bad. from the same guy.
0: I'll never really understand the fascination with Rolexes. I mean, this one's actually not too bad, but. I don't think they're the most attractive watches, personally.
1: What would you say is the most attractive watch to you?
0: Look at what I'm wearing. Yeah. I mean, it's d- definitely not as fancy. It's a Tissot. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I mean, um, you know, I like that sort of classic style. But yeah, the Rolex. I mean, yeah. I mean, a Hublot's really nice. The the tags are really nice. Um, even some Seiko's. But I'm. I, I guess I'm. I'm a. Different sort of target markets. You know, I'm not this this sort of super high end. I mean, there you've got to watch for twenty three thousand. Yes, <laughs> second hand. And what, what's its new price? Is that am I reading correctly? It's yes, you are. Hundred thousand dollars.
1: No, I think that is 40 thousand dollars. 40,
0: I know it's forty thousand. Yeah. Wow, that's a really interesting looking watch. How do you pronounce it? La Tradition. Yes,
1: that's right. Um, so this Breguet, um, it's really pricey when you buy it um, retail. Um, there's so much effort that goes into the construction of the movement of the watch, and you know the same goes for all the other top brands. Like have got AP, you've got Rolex and whatnot. If you look into the details of the watch, it's so fine. Every single thing is super precise, and if you if you look at the the hands, it this thing this thing even has a gauge to see how much um um battery it has because it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a manual winder, so what happens is you have to keep um, winding it to, to make sure that the the watch keeps running. But then they've got these uh, functions where you can actually see. It's it's a, it's one of those traditional watches that that are not automatic and a lot of like watch lovers really, really like it when a watch just just kind of um has that it just relies on its movement itself.
0: This this watch is wind up. This to so and it's it's always the wrong time because I always <laughs> I always uh, I was actually had a funny experience the other day in a yoga yeah. class where I took my watch off and put it next to my mat, and the teacher the instructor says, oh, I'm, I'm not sure what the time is." She sees my watch. She walks over and has a look at my watch to try work out the time, and she gets really confused <laughs> <laughs> because it it was off by an hour or something. And I said, "No, no, no, sorry, that's um that's." That that's the incorrect time. So yeah, and I like manual watches as well. There's something nice about them. But um, I believe um, P Diddy or Diddy or whatever he's called these who who whatever he's called these days apparently he's got a member of his entourage whose sole purpose is to lay out his watches when he travels and wind them up right No, yeah, who is that? So. Oh
1: goodness, I, I don't think I've heard this one before. But you know, someone who likes his watches really really does. Uh, you know, they have full collections. They even invest in um white like you know, a sort of display for their watches so that you know people come to their house, you can see it all very nicely um laid out. Um, watch lovers really really take a pride and joy to the pieces that they acquire, and there's a lot of like personal taste. I mean, you know, someone who likes Hublot might not like um Rolex, and they're really really um avid fans of that particular brand. Uh, I've never seen so much. Practice. In, in, in fashion before, uh, other than Omer's bags, Chanel bags, and spe- specifically for watches. <laughs> when you've got a guy who likes a certain brand of watch, he, he doesn't, he doesn't sway from that.
0: that. That looks nice, that, that tie. A Salvatore Ferragamo, fish print silk tie. New price $250, price $80 on your site.
1: Yeah, exactly. So this is really cute. It's, it's 100% silk, mm-hmm. so, uh, Salvatore Ferragamo tie. And what what's cute about it is that it has all these little fishes around it. Not typical for a usual tie that you get. Usually it's like a solid print. Um, and what happens is if you wear it for meetings, it tends to wear out a little bit. But this one, I mean, the, the quality of the silk is, is really good. The stitching is really good. But also it just has that look and feel um, that you can't can't get from anything else other than 100% silk.
0: So, Vanessa, how are you finding? Um, wow, there's a $1,300 cap. <laughs> yes, limited oh, edition. <laughs> I'm just not the market. I'm not, yeah, wow.
1: Um, it's insane how much uh, some of these pieces go for just because it's linked to a particular um, collaboration so this one is um, the Supreme LV collection um, there was actually a pop-up store in Sydney a couple of months ago and people were just queuing us out of the door uh, really? for hours waiting for you know the doors to open and then people just rushing in to get pieces of, of this um, particular collabor- collaboration so we've got the hang tag as well we've also got a belt a very gorgeous belt with the, the typical um, LV monogram and um also along the the belt itself very very classy also very distinctive um stands up from the usual lv belts yeah <laughs>
0: it's a it's a different world it's a different world to uh, yeah, a limited edition keychain um selling for about 800 dollars <laughs> right it's, uh, so, t- yeah. it's a, so tell tell me how's the startup journey going for you
1: it's been great. I mean, uh-huh. when I joined, uh, when I started Restyle Closet, when I decided to, to have this startup, I had no idea what to expect. So, I mean, coming from a fully corporate background, I've, I've always thought that I was going to be a banker for the rest of my life or be within finance for the rest of my life. But um, when I was introduced to the world of startups, uh, I thought it was really fascinating that, you know, if you saw, an, uh, saw a gap in the market, you could, you could actually do something about it. Um, yes, you, me, um, anyone who actually really is passionate about that product, problem and solving it can actually tackle that so my passion is in fashion and when I saw that you know there was a way to actually get people to own the designer items that they love at a much cheaper price but in a secure way because you know I I think how I kind of uh, fell across this was when I was looking for my branded bag for myself Um, at the start of my career didn't have a lot of money but I really liked these uh, Miu Miu bags that everyone's carrying and um, I started searching found it on eBay and I was I was just, you know, just kind of um, hovering over the screen because I really wanted to buy it, but I wasn't sure who it was coming from, whether it was authentic. Um, and that's when I realized I was actually a way, you know, I, if I create a, a platform where we could actually authenticate all these items from, from other people, from, from individual sellers, we could actually create a whole marketplace where people could shop their best, uh, their favorite designer brands for a lot cheaper. And, you know, we take care of everything else. So the startup journey has been very, very new for me. I, I just kind of launched to it, I saw this gap in the market. I was like, I have to do this. I I came here from Singapore. Um, it was a little bit different for me. It's a bit of a culture shock in some ways. But for me, I was just really passionate about the idea. So I just launched and I tried to get um, in touch with people who are in um, in the uh, let's say Facebook groups already selling. They really wanted to find a better way to sell. So I started talking to as many people as I could, and and then th- that's how we kind of grew our customer base. And it's been a l- bit challenging but very fun because I mean. I really Every day I wake up and I think to myself, how cool is it that I can work on something I'm passionate about? And, you know, startup journey is very rewarding because you can actually own what you're doing and, you know, find find a way to actually improve the lives in, of, of someone else in the space that you're interested in. So I'm actually really happy. This is just the start of my journey as well. So I'm hoping this will continue for the next couple of years.
0: What's the most challenging part of your journey?
1: So I'd say that at the start, you wouldn't know how to run things. You know, the, you have the whole idea. You, you have, for us, for, for me, it was a marketplace. I knew that I just had to launch this product and and then get it to work. But see, no one actually tells you what the steps are to get to where you want to be. So, it's a lot of testing, um, seeing what customers like, um, reaching out to customers, um, finding out whether your solution is solving their problem. And it's always thinking on the go, trying to figure out a solution for 10 new problems every day in order to to refine your idea. So, I think that the most challenging thing is there's no rule book to what you're doing. So, you just had to be smart about it and kind of kick it off in your own way.
0: And what's the next, uh, the next phase? Are you looking at getting funding? Are you looking at uh, sort of uh, refining any of your, your offering?
1: Well, um, what's been good is that uh, our our offering has actually improved by customer contributions alone at this point. Um, and we've got some really good stuff on there. So we've already spoke about the watches, some bags as well from Bugari. You just listed one from Valentino, another another shoe from Gucci. The, the list is endless, and I'm so happy to see that you know people are actually really understanding the value of just um, getting stuff out of the closet and benefiting someone else who can earn it for less. In terms of um, range, we're going to keep improving. I'm getting more people on because I mean the marketplace does really well when you've got as many items as possible and that was our goal to begin with you know empty out those closets of unused items and get them into the hands of someone else we're looking to eventually our growth a little bit further so in conversations to some people about that and um, yeah I think we've pretty much validated our model and um, it's time to actually take it a the next stage yeah
0: is that one of the reasons why you moved to sydney because we've we've maybe got a little bit more of a activity in the startup world here compared to singapore i mean singapore does have activity but it's 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 very banking finance oriented right and it's a it's it doesn't have sort of that layer of chaos that you need in, in, in a startup ecosystem?
1: I think that in Sydney, I would say the talent pool is also larger. People mm-hmm. here celebrate startups a lot more. They they understand that, you know, there's so much value that can be created with a proper ecosystem. Um, Singapore has that, but it's still um, taking baby steps. So I think it's only started in the past few years, whereas in Sydney, it's been around for um, almost 10 years or more, or so, about 10 years or so. Yeah, so I came here knowing that I would be able to work with really good people, but also because my the market... Um, in in Australia really, really would benefit from a solution like Resale Closet. Because you can even just, you know, just do a Google search for, oh, not really a Google search, go into Facebook groups, type in um, buy, sell, Alice McCall and, or maybe buy, sell Zimmerman or any of the de- designer brands, buy, sell LV, Chanel. And you see these groups have thousands of people trying to buy and sell from each other. But it's a really hassle, like a, it's a lot of a hassle to actually manage it yourself. So people and probably are a lot actively, of scamming
0: as well, right? Exactly.
1: So um, we've actually seen people tr- um, selling, say, an LV bag. Maybe it, they don't even realize that it's fake because I've actually spoken to one of them. Did you realize that this item is fake? And they said, no, um, I bought it from someone else, it was a safe group and uh, I think it's cool. Uh, i like, no, we can't have that on our platform. She actually tried to sell it on our platform but we had to screen it out and this happens all the time. Um, if you go, you see posts about people complaining that uh, sometimes it's not even about whether it's fake, right? Sometimes you think you're buying something that's brand new with tags. That's what they call it. If if the item was purchased but then never used then tags the are still on. So it's advertised that way. You buy it but then who's going to check if the person sends you something with a, a hole or stain? You basically, it's a, the onus is basically on you to make sure that, you know, you get your money back or whatever it is. So there are a lot of problems that come when you are dealing with individual sellers. So our platform kind of acts as a middleman to make sure that, you know, if a seller doesn't perform, we, we kind of take care of that for you. We, we um, offer refunds. We rely with the seller on your behalf. And if um, authentic items are, I mean, unauthentic items are listed, we actually just weed it out completely. Well, Vanessa,
0: it's been great talking to you. I mean, you, you capture a few, you know, we have, a, we have a, a lot of people that listen to this podcast that want to be entrepreneurs and haven't managed to quite take that step. And I think you capture a lot of um, what entrepreneurship's about or at least the, the, the success of the first few f- sort of stages. And, and I was thinking about them while you were chatting. And one is that you're creating a product essentially that you would love to use yourself right? Yes. And that's, and that's always, I mean, there's the phrase, you know, eat your own dog food and, (laughs) and that's, I always tell people that's a really good place to start. If you say, I wish there was something that did this, that I would use. And that's always a great place to start because if you would pay money for it and you got this desperate need for it, there is a pretty high likelihood that there are other people out there. And um, the other factor is you're really passionate about it and um, you really need you really need the passion because it is a tough journey. So you really need the passion to, to carry you through. I mean, I, I I can tell you're having a lot of fun and and you're really energized and you love talking about it. And it's you need to have that level of love if you're going to go the whole way with your journey, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that one of the benefits of starting a company where, you know, you you have the same problem as well is that you're so deeply related to it that you understand what it, exactly the customer is looking for. So for me, it was um, an issue of, you know, um, authenticity, you know, safety, um, sometimes also, you know, not wanting to deal with the hassles and, you know, understand it so well. And I think that translates into how well your solution works as well. So yes, that is definitely one of the best ways to start working on something that you understand really, really well. I mean, even if you find a, a, say, a solution to a problem, but if you're too far away from it, it's going to be really hard for you to kind of figure out how to make that model work if you don't fully understand it. You have to do heaps of research, even you know. But you still wouldn't fully understand it. But um, I think that's really, really great, um, Kevin, um, to. To work, I mean, for, for a new startup founder, uh, if you have something you're really passionate about, make sure that you understand your market, understand it, especially if you're in it yourself. And I think that will be the first step, uh, first step of many steps, actually, in your entrepreneurial journey. So good luck to that.
0: So if people want to get hold of you. I mean, uh, are you on Twitter, Instagram? Are you on on every? We'll we'll put links up on the show notes to the Restyle Closet main website. But what's the best way for people if they want to follow your progress?
1: Oh, that's great. We're pretty much everywhere. <laughs> so um, we've got a Facebook profile for our Restyle Closet as well as an Instagram profile. I've got a Twitter profile. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So our hashtag on Instagram is Restyle Your Closet. And the same for Facebook. And for Twitter, it's restyleclosetau. Closet
0: You don't have a personal Twitter account?
1: No, I no. don't. Oh, wow. <laughs> Am I breaking some cardinal rule here? Um, I don't
0: think you're breaking a cardinal rule, but I think it's... <laughs> I mean, I think Twitter is incredibly useful for your own personal branding purposes, but particularly for you to, for as an entrepreneur to, I mean, what I mainly learn is from articles and videos shared on Twitter. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've got a list of uh, startup entrepreneurs and founders and VCs that I follow on Twitter, and it's definitely a way that I keep my finger on the pulse. But uh, I guess everyone's got their, their different way, and it's um, it's definitely, yeah, I, I think it's incredibly useful, um, but... Uh, do you have a personal Instagram account?
1: Um, actually, I do. But um, back on that Twitter thing, what we are doing right now is actually kind of using the Restyle Closet profile. So that's why I haven't gotten my own personal one. But it's actually really useful. In fact, we are thinking of growing our Twitter Twitter following a lot more because you're absolutely right. You know, um, a lot of the people, business owners, um, investors, and people in the startup uh, ecosystem are all on Twitter as well. So we think that's a really good way to connect with the the startup society. Um, but probably, yes, get a Twitter account as well, a personal one. Um, on Instagram, I do have a personal one. Um, it's not super active because putting all our efforts into the restockers at once. At the I w-
0: I, yeah, I would imagine Instagram's huge with fashion, right? It's yeah. really, really big. It's it a, is. It's a big market on Instagram.
1: It is. Um, it's actually very good because um, a lot of it is visual. So we can really showcase the, the sort of quality our, our items have. So we use Instagram a lot. In fact, I think it's our, our main social profile where we're pushing out all our products. Um, then second would be Facebook um, at the moment. Um, Instagram is amazing because also it's, it's one of those channels where you can actually say, reach out to your audience without necessarily having an ad spin. So we really like that as well. At the moment. At the moment. (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't change um, too fast. But then we'll be on Twitter. (laughs)
0: Social's moving so fast. We're not not really sure um, where it's all going to land up. Vanessa Lim, who's the co-founder. Are you the founder or co-founder?
1: We've actually just gotten a new co-founder in, Uh so I'd like to welcome Lauren on board to Restyle Closet. Hello. (laughs) So So we're both co-founders in Restyle Closet.
0: Great. So co-founder of Restyle Closet and um, yeah, we wish you all the best of success. I'm pretty sure we're going to chat to you in a couple of years and you're going to be a whole different animal. So um, good luck with your journey and we'll put all the bits and pieces up on the show notes and people can as always go to itsamonkey.com and have a look at the show notes and uh, can with you there.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. It was such a pleasure being on this podcast with you.
3: The It’s a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free.
0: Kate, the high-end fashion world is just, just is quite something else. And it's quite interesting that Vanessa has seen a gap there. And there's obviously a lot of money involved and changes hands and I think there I think there may be something in what she's doing. What are your thoughts? Uh
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's I think there's a big market for secondhand clothes, regardless of whether it's high fashion or not. Especially in certain areas and stuff. I know in Whistler here, the turnover of people like travelers coming through and, you know, traveling the world in and out, there's a lot of like Facebook pages and stuff and everyone's all selling clothes and they're in good condition and usually a bit cheaper and like example here we don't really have like clothing stores so it's good to sort of buy off each other and and recycle instead of putting them all into landfill so it must be exactly the same i would say for high fashion as well like some of these big brands are really sought after um but they've got ridiculous price tags on them so if you can bring them down a bit it's sort of it's the best of both worlds for a lot of people
0: i think um just thinking about myself now, what would really be cool is with every purchase that you made, it automatically got databased and then when you sell it, you can almost just tag it or you can even just have a little app where you take a photo of your your piece of clothing and it and it links it in with your database and it can list it for you automatically and it even tells you um, you know when your purchase date date was. We could make this whole internet of things type ecosystem where everything 's a lot more seamless because I think one of the friction points is it's a lot of work to try and sell clothes and um, it's just the, the market is definitely not frictionless at the moment and I guess that's where uh, services like Vanessa Lim's is, is trying to reduce the friction in some of these secondary markets.
2: Yeah, definitely. I found it interesting too how she said um, so 95% of the items donated to second-hand shops actually don't get sold. Mm. so like humanity in general is just going through so many clothes that you know you you get something you don't like it anymore it's still in good condition so you take it to the second hand store and they still can't sell it because it's cheap enough for other people to buy that same piece of clothing brand new or similar straight from the shop rather than looking at second hand stuff
0: we need to tax we need to tax new items Right, it's become too cheap and the real cost economics, meaning that the impact to society is not reflected in the price. When if you buy I saw a tent yesterday at a camping store, quite a good quality tent, sold for twenty dollars. Now that's great because it's cheap, but it also means the incentive for someone to go to a festival with their tent and just leave the tent there and have the festival organizers pick it up and throw it into trash, it's pretty high, right? So it doesn't factor in that someone's going to go th- and pick it up and throw it in rubbish, and it's going to become part of toxic waste. And da 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 da. da. But so that tent should have a have a fifty percent surcharge on it. So we need to we need to really start considering real cost economics because things have become so cheap, then that's you know the disposable environment. And 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 see how see how innovative we come when things become when things aren't cheap, like Vanessa's. Service things aren't cheap, so we become innovative in reusing and repurposing them, which is great.
2: Yeah, it has to be. It has to be an expensive good, which is the sad part.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. It, it does. Things have become too cheap, and 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 yet they become expensive to the environment, and it's it's out of balance um, as well. But yeah, I mean, I think people do like secondhand clothes a lot. I think mainly also because for fashion purposes, not necessarily for eco purposes, but maybe a little bit for both. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, you know, it helps the price tag a bit. Uh, you know, myself even, when I buy stuff, uh, if it's secondhand, I'm not as personally, I know other people aren't like this, but I'm not as attached to it. So it's sort of like, you know, if I lose it or if I want to cut it up and, you know, try a different style or something, it's not a big loss if it doesn't work out.
0: Well, I also I, I don't know if Vanessa and I spoke about this on the the interview or it was post interview, but there is a store in the U.S. that's similar to I'm sorry, an online site in the U.S. similar to hers, but that focuses only on high end sneakers.
2: Okay.
0: I don't think I think that was in a, in an after chat we we carried on after the interview chatting for quite a bit. Now apparently the there's high end sneakers that's you know, cost five hundred a thousand dollars in the States and there's a massive secondary market for this. A massive, massive secondary market. And this is a huge business that has raised apparently fifty million dollars or something ridiculous.
2: Mm. I can imagine that though the the shoe space in general, like fashion for these kind of sneakers is is crazy. Like when I think about the label, the price tag on some of these you know, like Nike shoes or even Converse and stuff. Again, love those shoes myself as well. But they're, you know, you could buy what seemingly, it's probably a quality difference, but seemingly there's a very similar pair of shoes that are no name brand for like a fraction of the price. But there's a huge market there. So I can understand why they why they have a second hand.
0: But what, what fascinates me though is, would you buy second hand sneakers? Probably not. I don't know anyone that would. And yet, this- yeah,
2: it would depend. I, I would buy them if they weren't didn't have like a tread in them. For example, let's say somebody bought a pair of sneakers online. Uh, they had them delivered and they don't fit, or they don't like the color, or something like that. But they're basically new, or they've only been worn once or twice. Then I would probably give them a go. Yeah, um, but if somebody's
0: worn
2: them, I would not buy them. Only because I think as well, like. My feet are a bit funny in the fact that like I have like quite a high arch in my foot. Um, and so if I tried to fit into someone else's shoe, it just wouldn't work.
0: Well, what's interesting is this site, I found the name of the site. It's called Goat. Okay. Goat.com. And they have raised nearly $100 million. <laughs> That's a significant amount of money. So this is a big business based on Secondhand high-end sneakers. Wow.
2: I can imagine that. Like some people don't actually, they buy these shoes, you know, for the colour or something, for an outfit, wear them once or twice and then they've got no use for them anymore. So I can see why, like, some people would sell them. I mean, I even had a friend in, in primary school and she, so we have these brands of flip-flops uh, in Australia called Havana's and they're all different,
0: have all different colours. Havana's. Havianas. i've had this chat with uh, some friends <laughs> <laughs> i also used to call them, you can call them your have, have, have a look have a look how it's spelled there's a Haviana in there yeah, anyway.
2: Havanas, Havanas. <laughs> anyway point is you can get them in a
0: million different styles
2: um, well not really different styles like you can get a thin band or a thick band that's about it um, but they come in lots of different colors and patterns and i had a friend who she went through a phase where she collected all the different colors so she had all these pairs of flip flops. And obviously she didn't wear them all very often. And then eventually she sort of outgrew that phase and she got rid of them all.
0: Okay. So and that's probably that what's that that's probably what happens with these with these sneakers, right?
2: Yeah, I can imagine people collect Converse, all the different styles and the colors, for example, and they're hardly worn. And then they try and sell them and Lucky to whoever buys them secondhand.
0: So they say on Goat.com, from the rarest exclusive to your everyday sneaker, we have an endless selection waiting for you to take home. We are committed to being the largest and most accurate sneaker database to help you discover the perfect pair. So there you go. There's all these massive industries that are are are, are ticking along. This is a company with 100 million dollars in funding, selling secondhand sneakers. So I think Vanessa's business is 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 modeled on on that a little bit Um, and these prices i'm having a look here air jordan retro game royale how much are these sneakers buy new 200 dollars. i don't know if these are some of these might be sort of yeah people haven't haven't actually opened them and worn them yet
2: you know it would be smart if you could replace the sole. so if if they were a company that had access to let's say nike and all the big brands and they had like some kind of contract where they just supply new soles.
0: Interesting. If you could take the sole yep. out
2: of the old shoes and put a new sole in. I'd do that. I'd do that. that would be my main problem, would be that the sole was had like a tread in it of someone else's foot.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: If I got a fresh sole and I could wash the outside of the shoe and it looked brand new, yeah, I'd buy
3: it.
0: Here there's some some Nike Airs for eleven hundred dollars off-white air presto. Oh. Never knew sneakers could get that that much. So um, yeah, whole industry. But have yeah, if you're interested in that, have a look at goat.com. So yeah, I I, I the whole fashion world is 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 definitely a whole big, vast uh, secondary market there. And, and there's businesses like Vanessa that are trying to reduce the friction in all elements. Probably lots of opportunities still there on the fashion side of things. Uh, I would like every now and then just someone to come and collect my entire wardrobe and take it away. Just take it away. Take it away. And Why? Every couple of years just to, you know, just you don't wear stuff. You buy stuff. You don't wear it. And just just start afresh it's like moving house, right? you're just forced to declutter and just you know' I'm looking at my cupboard now actually'cause because I'm, I'm I'm doing the podcast from my bedroom today, which is a whole other story but i've I've got clothes in here that I just really haven't worn for years and years, so I would love to an easy way of someone actually coming in and just collecting it and reducing the friction on that end and and donating it to charity or reselling it or doing doing whatever with it. So, yeah. Men's is definitely, you know, there's a lot going on in the female fashion side of things, but men's men's we get a bit um I think there's be, because we don't have I don't know. The stereotype is that we're a bit more complex around fashion or we don't spend as much money, et cetera, but um, there's still a skew towards some of these uh, sites that that assist women a bit more. Um, I don't come across much as a guy that does like to wear clothes but absolutely hates shopping. I don't come across uh, many innovative services that can help me.
2: No, it's definitely growing though. It's definitely a space that's growing. And I found too um, the, the market for men's fashion is sort of more in accessories than actual clothing items so belts, ties shoes watches
0: watches have become a thing yeah watches have definitely become a thing mm-hmm. yeah. and they, they it kind
2: of it's sort of like a, um, a bit of a status thing as well if you've got certain items or certain brands but yeah the accessories i found are quite a big thing uh in men's
0: fashion yeah interesting Okay, that is 116, episode 116, Done and Dusted. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us a lot. And just take two minutes and leave a a good review. Also, try out Manage Flitter. It's a product we work hard on and uh, we have some exciting changes coming up on Manage Flitter and Manage Social. But importantly, just listen to uh, our next episode, which may be the next week or the week after. Um, And you've been listening to Kevin Garber, CEO of Managed Flitter, together with Kate Rappel, who is the design lead at Managed Flitter. Thanks for joining us.